I'd like to ask you to stand this morning. We're going to stand for the reading of the Scriptures. It is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. And this is the very Word of God. These are the words of the Son of God. And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what it means to love you, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. That is what's called the Great Commandment. The Great Commission is go and make disciples of all the nations. The Great Commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the last sermon in the series we've been looking at called Loving the Other the blessing of living beyond ourselves. And we've kind of looked at loving God and we've looked at how that works out in real life to love our neighbor. We love our spouse, love our family, love the church, uh, love the neighbor nearby, love our enemies. And this morning, we're going to be looking at that last little phrase. And you, we re- you really don't hear much about this. And it's just these two words, as yourself. We're going to be talking about self-love this morning and what the Scriptures say about it. What does it mean in this passage and in the Scriptures to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? Now, we could begin this message. We could have had uh, Caitlin, one of our sopranos, sing the the great cultural anthem of self-love. That would be Whitney Houston's uh, famous song, The Greatest Love of All, which in the refrain says, I have found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest Love of all. Or I could begin by several quotations from Dr. Phil or uh, his equal Oprah Winfrey or a million other people on the Internet who have weighed in to, to basically echo what the culture is saying. And the culture is saying this, you must love yourself first and foremost. And here's kind of the corollary that goes with it. If you don't love yourself first and foremost, you're not going to be able to be loved. And if you don't love yourself first and foremost, you're not going to be able to really love anyone else. And you know why we're not starting with that song and those quotations. might have something to do with the fact that this is pure psychobabble hogwash. But more important, a wrong view of self-love will hurt you. And it will not help you. 
I do want to read just one person from the internet and what you kind of love and hate about the internet. I searched, love yourself first. There are 225,000 answers to, uh, to that issue on the internet, at least on Google. And I read from uh, a magazine called Elite Daily and a, a writer named Ricardo Martinez, rather than Dr. Phil or Oprah, because you got to love this about the internet. You know, you've got people opining and they're dispensing the wisdom of the ages as the oracle uh, just anytime they want to do it. And yet what's great about it is, is that when Oprah and Dr. Phil talk about this, it's all this flourishing, flowery language and it kind of hides what really is underneath all that, which is the sheer selfishness of mankind. And so Ricardo Martinez cuts through it. He says, love yourself first. Love only develops after making your own happiness your top priority. He goes on to say, be selfish. You got to love this guy. Be selfish. Focus on you. Focus on obtaining experiences that will benefit you in the long run. After all, happiness is an individual state of mind that you have within your grasp. You hold the key that will unlock the true meaning of life. And then he finishes by saying, beware of love. He means for other people. Only grant access to worthy people. And I suppose what that means is somebody that wants to live for you. Um, love yourself first. Ricardo, I just got to read his, his bona fides. Ricardo, this is straight from his thing. Ricardo is an internet marketer by day, a gym enthusiast, romance comedy lover, and wannabe chef by night. Even though life's answers are still a discovery process, he is either, and he wrote this, he is either drinking, drinking mojitos, uh, inventing recipes, killing the dance floor, or rolling his R's as often as possible. And you just got to love the, the self-proclaimed oracles. I think he had one too many mojitos when he wrote this. But you know, that is exactly what it is. That is unvarnished. That cannot be what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus is talking about self-love in a positive way here. Loving your neighbor is positive, right? Well, you love your neighbor positive the way you love yourself. So loving yourself here is, is a positive thing, and it cannot mean selfishness. So what does it mean to love ourselves the way God would have us love ourselves. In the chapter that we're looking at today, which is Mark chapter 12, this is a, a really amazing series of different leaders in Israel and different teachers who come, and, and it's very scripted by them, come and ask these kind of gotcha questions of Jesus. Trying to trip Jesus up. What they're trying to do is discredit Jesus' ministry in front of the people. Well, I'll give you a hint. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, is not tripped up. And uh, the last question here is, so teacher, what is the greatest commandment among all the commandments? And, and they thought Jesus would pick one of the ten. And if Jesus picked one of the ten, they would have him, you know? Because then they would be able to, to say, no, the others are, are more important. But Jesus didn't answer their question by picking one of the ten. Jesus said, well, actually, it's two. 
Hero is the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, you're a Jew. We say this every time we worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so, what does it mean to love ourselves and therefore to be able to love our neighbors well? I'd like to look at it from three different vantage points from the text. The first is, is that self-love is important. The second is self-love is given, it's assumed. And thirdly, self-love is a descriptor in this text, and I'll explain that to you. But the first notion is, is that self-love is an okay subject for a believer in Christ to talk about. Self-love, in fact, is important. We are never worthless. You are not worthless. And it is wrong to diminish a human being and to try to assign less worth than God Almighty has assigned to a human being. And let me tell you what God Almighty has assigned to a human being. His own image of all creation. We are the pinnacle and the crown. And finally God came and on the sixth day He created man. Let us make man in our image. And male and female He created him. In them. In His image He created them. This means that we... You are glorious. A kind of copy of God, not an exact copy. And particularly since sin has come into the world, certainly not an exact copy. And yet, fearfully and wonderfully made, every person in this room has been assigned dignity by God. Every person in this room has been assigned a general kind of love of God and a care of God through His creation. This is important. Your life is a gift from God. And human life is like no other in creation. Not only in God's image, but like no other in creation in terms of relationships. No other creatures have relationships of love and understanding, you see. Of listening and caring. Of saying they're sorry. Of, of, of speaking value one to another. Mountains are majestic, no doubt about it. And oceans are vast. And we kind of lose ourselves in the beauty and the vastness of them. But only you are ceaselessly wondrous. At the end of the day, that mountain is a gigantic rock. And it screams the glory of God. And a, and a sea is, is multiplied H2O. And it's amazing. But you are ceaselessly wondrous and loved. And we are not to curse ourselves. For in the cursing of ourselves, we are cursing our Maker in whose image we are made, God Almighty. We are not to diminish ourselves. It is okay to say, I love myself because God created me and God loves me. It's okay. We are to appreciate who we are. We are to care for ourselves, even as our bodies are the temple of the very Holy Spirit. 
as believers. We are to nurture our lives in so many ways solely because we are important and assign that importance by God. Now, the issue of self is an interesting issue. I mean, what's a self? Well, the Hebrew concept of self is different from maybe the the modern concept. The modern concept of self is more like a Greek concept in the ancient world and kind of more like Eastern religion. Like the self is some immaterial, you know, like kind of like your spirit or, or your mind or your heart that, you know, you can't lay your hands on yourself. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the self is all that we are. In our body, in our spirit, in our minds, and in our hearts. And all of it is glorious. In fact, one of the worst things that we do in in, in kind of bad theology is we try to get people to escape themselves. Body is bad, spirit is good, and it's all this mysticism and all this hocus-pocus and even Christian mysticism and hocus-pocus. No. No, no. The Bible says bring all of you to the God who created you. Bring all of you to the God who loves you. This is the whole gospel for the whole man, for all of us. You are significant because God made you from head to toe in His image and He loves all of you. And He wants all of you, your whole being, to walk with Him. The famous 18th century American theologian Jonathan Edwards spoke about this in his treatise, Charity, which is kind of an old-fashioned word saying love. And this treatise is on love in its many forms. Love and its fruits. Here's what Edwards said. It is not contrary to Christianity that a man should love himself, which is the same thing that a man should love his own happiness. Now, I have to tell you, that word's a little different, but it just means fullness there that God has for us. It's not contrary to Christianity that a man should love himself, or which is the same thing, that he should love his own happiness, that a man should love his own happiness is as necessary to his nature as the faculty of his own will is necessary. Meaning, God made us, God made us glorious, God gave us these purposes. God gives us fullness. We, we need to discover who we are. We need to discover more fully who God is. We need to auger down into the love of God, you see. We can't escape ourselves. All of our reference point on life comes from us. And so, you know, sometimes we kind of start preaching about the self and we, we start in the wrong place in the Bible. And, and we evangelicals or conservative Christians tend to start with the fall, don't we? The man sinned and, and fell into an estate of sin and misery and man is in rebellion and he needs to be redeemed. And that's who Jesus is and, and Jesus brings us back into relationship. That is not where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with... And God on the sixth day created man in his own image and it was all good and this was very good, you see. Then man fell. In other words, there was purpose assigned to man and knowing God and there was fullness and there was happiness and there was joy. And a part of what is redeemed by Jesus is the restoration of that purpose and that happiness, that humanity, that self with God. That is so far 
from the critique that we hear all the time of Christianity that we teach some kind of a self-hatred. No. No, Jesus teaches a proper self-love. He says, love God, is that a good thing? Yes. Love your neighbor, is that a good thing? Yes. You love neighbor, good thing like you love yourself. Good thing, you see. Loving self because we're made in the image of God is important. Kelly Capick of Covenant College talks about how this, this purpose, this self-love before God is, is a wonderful thing. But you know, here's what happens. We take something that's beautiful and because of sin, we turn it into something that is ugly. Self-love becomes selfishness. Self-love becomes self-worship, which cuts us off from the worship of the beneficent, the gracious, the lover of our souls and, and all that we are. He says, because of our sin, we are, in a word, selfish. Sin has affected how we think, how we feel, how we desire. And consequently, when we engage the world, we seek to bend God's handiwork to serve our own selfish longings. You see, we go from discovering God and His world and purpose and flowing out of that love, and we take it and say, no, it's all for me. And we bend it all to our purposes. But the fact that a good thing becomes bad does not mean that it is no longer good. Self-love, image of God, love of God, assigned value. Self-love is important. And it's going to be one of the basis of loving our neighbor. Secondly, self-love is given. That is, it is assumed. It's a given. There's a sense in which we just don't have a day when we're not dwelling on ourselves. As people who live in a fallen world, I mean, I've thought about it. I've sat there and I've thought about it and I've thought, how many times a day do I think about myself? You know, the answer is, I'm not sure, but it's scary to think about. Throughout the Bible, including here in Jesus' words, it is assumed that we're going to focus on ourselves. That is the meaning of Ephesians 5, 29. Have you ever wondered about this? Husbands, love your wives as you love your own bodies. Listen to this. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever, uh, let's see, for no one ever, uh, after all, everyone, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it. What Paul is saying is, you know, you want to love your wife, maybe like the starting point would be the, the passion you have for taking care of you. Why don't you give that to your wife? Because we're, it's a given that we're going to focus on self. It's a given that we're going to move in that direction and we're going to care about ourselves. But we allow self-love to become selfishness so quickly. And I think it needs to be stated that people aren't different. But there are different things in different age, ages. And, and we have a new word today. 
It is a psychological word. I don't think it's a bad word. It's a word that describes an over-the-top self-focus that seems to be okay with that person and unfortunately is okay with people around them. The word is narcissism. Radical self-focus plagues our culture today. It is an acceptable, inordinate, over-the-top focus on me. It makes my whole life a selfie. It's me as my favorite subject. It's how everyone is to be in relation to me. It's how me get what me wants. And if me doesn't get it, you're going to pay. Me posts about me. Me brags about me. And I suggest that your life should be about me. And God, you know, what, you know who God is. God is the person that makes sure all this gets delivered to me. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is a very God-centered purpose. I love what Harry Reader said in a recent Table Talk article. He said the first question of our new personal catechism is, what is the chief end of God? What's the chief purpose of God? And the answer is to love me and make me happy. Improper self-love is basically self-worship. And that is what keeps us from God. That is what keeps us from love. Radical selfishness never leads people to love. Because the word for love here is agapao, or agape the verb, to give. Love is about you more than it's about me. Love is outward. Love is sacrifice. Love is giving. And more me in this selfish way only hurts me. And it hurts the people around me as well. Jesus' positive words in our text about the self are not the only words in Scripture about the self. There are several places where that selfishness is brought out in most famously, I guess, would be 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, which Paul says, But understand this, in the last days there will be times of difficulty. Why? Verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3, because people will be lovers of self. That's number one. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And at the top of that list is they will be lovers of self. You see, there is a bad kind of self-love. And how does the Bible deal with that kind of self-love that is self-worship that cuts us off from God? The Bible deals with it and Jesus specifically calls us to something called self-denial. We've got to stop that train 
before it goes too far and just crushes everybody on its circuit. Jesus said in the same book of Mark, in Mark 8, 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if any man would come after me, you want to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-love is just a given. And we don't struggle every day with, with wanting to deny ourselves too much. No, the, the default is to loving ourselves, and sometimes the default is to selfishness. But it's not only important as God has assigned us value and love, and that should be meaningful to us, and we are to care and love ourselves because of that. And not only is it a given in this text that we're, we're going to kind of default to one or the other kind of self-love, the third thing is, is that self-love here is a descriptive. It's important for you to understand this because in the world's way of looking at this text. In fact, I thought about reading you another one of these people that actually used Jesus' words to, to demonstrate that you should love yourself first and foremost in priority. They think there's three commands here. You know, what is the greatest commandment? Pick one of the ten. No, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second he says, is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, as yourself is not a third command. He didn't say love your neighbor and then thirdly, love yourself. And and sure as shooting, if he would have made thirdly another command, we would do just what everybody does and put that as the number one. Got to take care of yourself. That's the number one priority. It's not. It's just descriptive. It's descriptive of how you love your neighbor. That's all it is. What it is saying is that we naturally love ourselves with intensity even. And that is the kind of intensity we bring to loving our neighbors. What he's saying is, this is just radical. He's saying, think about how much you love yourself or think about how you could love yourself in a good way. Wouldn't it be amazing if at least that much love was given to other people? That's what he's saying. That's an incredible challenge. Jesus' words here are not given to build a psychology of self-first and only love. They're actually here as yourself, those two words, to point to the importance of loving the neighbor. How important, how significant is your neighbor? more significant in the sense of love than you are. To be able to give, to be able to share with your neighbor. It's a descriptor. So let me kind of move to a conclusion here. And that is to say that there are two, love God and others, that loving God and others is the best way to love yourself. We love God if we love him solely because he first loved us. Not because we are worthy of his love. 
He, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And, and this is so important because when you start looking at this, I got to love me first and foremost. And that always kind of has the, the additional, and I need to work on me so that I can then love other people. And I got to work on me so then maybe I can be loved by someone. I'm going to tell you something with God. God never tells you to go work on you so that he might love you. In the gospel, God just loves you. He just loves you. In fact, in me, in fact, He loves us in spite of us. We don't have to have this, all these ducks in a row about ourselves. The very point is that Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for people who know that they are messed up and realizes that God has loved them. One of the psychologists that wrote a little bit from a, a, a human perspective, let's say, he actually disagreed with the idea that you should love yourself first and foremost. And I like to read what he said, although he kind of missed the boat in a sense, and I'll tell you this, but there's a lot of wisdom in what he said, I think. His name is Ken Page. This was in Psychology Today. He's a pretty well-known uh, psychologist, evidently, in New York City. Quote, as much as we want to control our own destiny, the humbling truth is that sometimes the only way to learn self-love is by being loved. Precisely at the places where we feel the most unsure and exposed and tender. That is so right. When that happens, when somebody loves us in spite of us, basically, and they see we're messed up and they still love us in those places, he says, when that happens, we feel freedom and relief and permission to love in a deeper way. No amount of positive self-talk can replicate this experience. It is a gift of intimacy, not of willpower. That's beautiful. But what's interesting is that Kim Page suggests that you can get all of that that you need from other people. And other people are not ultimately reliable when it comes to their acceptance and their love for us. But God is. Just what he said, all of that is given by God. Look, you don't have to clean up to come to God. You just come to God. God looks in my heart. God looks in your heart. He sees, he sees you. He sees all of you. He sees your sins, your pet and secret ones. He sees all the, the things that, that are so ugly. He, he, everything is, is right there. And you know... The very things you wouldn't want people to know, he knows. And you can trust him. And he loves you. And the way you know he loves you, the most powerful demonstration of love ever, was that God sent his only son to die on a cross for you and for me. And while and Jesus dying on the cross is not some kind of a power play to get you to do something, 
Jesus dying on the cross is not, no kind of manipulation. Jesus dying on the cross is Jesus giving up everything for you. You can trust that love. In the gospel, the primary way we learn to love is by being loved by God. Even in those tender and unsightly places. And the having Christ alive in our lives and having His love within us, never to withdraw it, never to diminish it, and we are relieved that we are loved now and forever. And we are set free being loved to see the way forward to actually love people in our lives. Jesus said to His disciples in John fifteen nine, As the Father has loved me. Now may I ask, is that a little bit, a medium bit, or a lot bit? Jesus says, as the, just like as, it's just another descriptor, as the Father has loved me, so also I love you. It's amazing. As the Father has loved me, just like that do I love you. And then he says this, abide in my love. Live in my love. Let my love be your native oxygen for your life. Dwell in my love. Thrive in my love. And nothing of substance really grows in a human being somehow without love. It it cannot continually grow without love. And and non-love always chokes people out. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Dwell in my love. Live in my love flourish in my love. So the key to self-love is not only to understand that we are assigned value by God being made in His image, but it is to be impacted by and to enjoy His love as the basis for who we are and who we can be to other people. As John Piper put it years ago in his first book, he says, I glorify God best when I enjoy Him most. When His love is where I live. So let's let our self grow in the soil, in the nutrients of God's love and His grace in Christ. This is how we learn to love ourselves. This is how we learn to love other people. And let's turn that same love that we've experienced, let's turn that on our neighbor and see what happens. It's the kind of thing that changes things. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor like you love yourself. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. You are not only great, you are not only holy, but as great and holy, you are the lover of our souls. You love us. Lord, there are people here who who don't think you love them. 
There are people here who don't think they're worthy. You make us worthy through the cross. There are people here starved for love. And they are bent on extracting all of it from people. And it's too much of a weight to bear for those people who cannot give ever enough. If you'd like to have God's love in your life, now and forever, you pray with me. Lord, I see it. I I cannot make myself right with you. Oh, holy God. Thank you that you love me so much that you sent your son to die in my place and you've removed the barrier of my sin and you've even taken the punishment that I deserve for my sin so that now as I turn away from everything else and put my trust in you, Jesus, I'm yours. And you've given me relationship and you've adopted me into your family and you've set your affection upon me and your love forever. And Lord, there are many of us who have walked with you for some years. And yet, would you teach us to love by receiving your love yet again afresh? In Jesus' name, amen.